Welcome to Double Burst, the podcast about Dice Masters. We are a group of Utah players that want to bring you the latest Dice Masters news, strategies, tips, and more. Whether you're a new or seasoned player, we hope this show has something for you. I'm KT Data, one of your hosts, and welcome to episode 27. In this episode, we'll be talking about a new keyword, back for more, teaching Dice Masters to new players, and wrapping it all up with a recap of the most recent WKOs. Before we do that, Dr. J is back with the Rules Forum update. Okay, guys, we are here with Dr. J. How are you doing today? Doing great. We all know if you're kicking off the first segment that we have a Rules Forum update. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got four brand new Rules Forums. If you guys don't know where the Rules Forums are, it's win.wizkids.com forward slash BB, B as in boy. Um, and they posted four new rulings. We're not going to go all over all four of them, but we're going to give you the general ideas of the important one. All right. Mm-hmm. First one, WizKids has been keeping us bated breath for about a month or so now, and that's to do with Vicious Struggle because they had ruled it one way, and then they changed it within like half an hour of po- posting it up saying, hey, hold on, it's under review. So the original question was, assume a scenario where both players are at 10 life. If player A activates Vicious Struggle on their first turn and player B attacks resulting in 10 combat damage being dealt to player A, what happens next? Does player A lose their life total, reaches zero, or does Vicious Struggle still deal 10 damage resulting in both players reaching zero? So they ha- they had been kind of hanging on this and this is kind of an important question to be asking since vicious struggle was one of the most played teams out recently yeah right? yep so they've posted saying upon review the game should end as soon as a player reaches zero life even if other effects are triggered such as another player taking damage to reach zero life those effects don't happen so yeah they've withheld that they've um, said once somebody reaches zero game is over doesn't matter what happens next you reach zero done yeah and i think this was the way that most people were playing the game i mean it was vicious struggle was a reaction to something happening you taking damage so if you take damage and you go to zero well that's it no no game game over there's no time for anything else to happen and so that was kind of what they were thinking i personally think they ruled it wrong because it's still allowed to be played um, I would have just liked to see it. Yeah, we, we gone, were we were hoping this was going to nerf vicious struggle, but they're like, nope, it's going to be just like I was before. It does kind of yeah. nerf it, but I mean, it's still a really crazy broken card. <laughs> yeah. it, something needs to be done about it. Yep. All but, right. Oh so well. for our next one, uh, this one has been a slight area of confusion since the Deadpool set came out, and that was about Lockjaw. So all the Lockjaw cards, I believe, um, I can't remember the rare off the top of my head, but most of them are like before either you're clear and draw step or your opponent's clear and draw it's, step. It's the rare that, yeah. that uh, the uncommon is the one that does not do that. Yeah, um, but the, the two that they're asking is it's usually before your opponent's or your, your clear and draw step, you na- name a die, and mm-hmm. then if, if you or whoever person it is, whatever card that says, draws that die, an effect happens. Yeah. Um, and one of them that was that um, was questioned was the common and his ability is when while lockjaw is active before your opponent's clear and draw step you name a side non-sidekick die if your opponent draws that die deal two damage to all of that opponent's character dice and each of your lockjaw dice get plus two attack yeah so the question was since these characters are getting knocked out during your opponent's clear and draw step do they get to roll them or not and based on the steps in the rule book, it, you, know, you, you might be led to believe that, yes, you yeah. are able to roll them. However, there is one paragraph on one page. It, so, yeah. So what they said is, and they're quoting the Civil War starter book. I'm always curious. Okay, why. that's the one that it yeah, was. I'm curious. And it's actually <laughs> been in all the rule books since AVX. But I think all of us have kind of glossed over it because it was in parentheses. Um, but they, they quoted the Civil War's rule book saying, for the step on page eight and it says roll the dice you drew from the bag as well as all the dice that were already in your prep area and in parentheses that were placed there in an earlier turn so this kind of in effect has created a another transition zone in the chaos yeah i think we should name it we should we should think of a cool name for it before the rust zone Right, the yeah. the kingdom of KO. That's what this will be where dice go when they get KO'd, but they're not ready yet to keep going in the game. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, we could just call it like the blackout zone or something. <laughs> something like yeah, because because they're, they're technically knocked out, but they're not ready to. You know, you yeah. haven't gotten the smelling salts yet. Yeah, I think it's interesting because <laughs> before this set came out, this was never an issue. Yeah. There was never a card that did this, and now when this set came out, there's two at least that put dice into the prep area at mm-hmm. the beginning of the turn. 
Um, that's why I think there was a lot of confusion because people said, well, you can't look at an older rule book because no other cards yeah. ever addressed this issue. But they've ruled that if the, those dice are knocked out at the beginning of the turn by Lockjaw, you don't get to roll those. So yep. you have to keep those dice separate from the dice that are already in your mm. prep area. So Yeah, and I've, I've actually been playing the rare Sheikla like that too because she yeah, says exactly. at the beginning of your turn, you move a sidekick die from your use pile to the prep area. So I've been calling it. I every, so that's funny. Some of the guys I've been playing with, I'm like, all right, now I'm doing this weird transition Sheikla ability things on. So essentially, I'm playing with seven sidekick dice for yeah. the whole game. So everyone, <laughs> you know, from now on, take your mat, throw it away, get a new one <laughs> that separates the prep area into two zones because we're just gonna have to do that. Well, from it's now already on. in two zones, so three zones now. What? Because the KO is not a zone. It was never a zone. Know, it was just an, uh, <laughs> uh, it was just a something on the map that was like boom KO. That was not like a an area <laughs> before. All right, but whatever. So yeah, so those are kind of the two updates. Um, I think the lockjaw one it has the most significance right now. Yeah, because it's such a new mechanic that not a people. Not a lot of people kind of know or understand how it works. So yeah, those are the rulings, of course, and um, hopefully they'll have more rulings and we'll have you back to kick off the next episode. I'm always looking forward to new rulings. Okay, guys, we are here with the Brown Messiah and the Kale King. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Good. Yep. Uh, I'm excited for this because we're talking about a brand new mechanic that was introduced in the Deadpool set, which is the back for more keyword. Back for more! Yep. And so... WizKids has already updated the keyword, so if you guys see what is listed on those little white cards until they get probably their second printing, um, they've updated to, to, to specifically say when a die with back from war begins the turn in your prep area and is rolled during the roll and re-roll step, use its back from war effect. This isn't optional. So there was initial questions on what happens if you... Um, Say, you know, like, the, does it work when you draw from your bag? Because technically you combine that in your in your prep area. Um, but they've ruled it. It has to be there at the beginning of your turn. Um, Some people question that. <laughs> but um, I, Yeah, I actually agree with it, yeah. though, because it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, it makes it a little more forward. sense, and it makes it so... Because since it's not an optional ability, I can see that being slightly detrimental because you start drawing and then you have to use its ability yeah exactly um, i I, th- I look at it as like kind of a double-edged sword where it's like it, where the ability itself could be extremely helpful and beneficial but when you can't use it then it's just an empty fizzle thing ability that just doesn't do anything yep. for you so look looking at a quick overview there's about 11 cards yeah 11 cards that have the back for more ability so have you guys had time to kind of play around with back for more and see how effective it is yeah, I really like it. You guys know I like to KO things, so I've been playing a lot. <laughs> that was that my first thought when I saw this thing. I was like, here's another thing for us to play with. Oh, as soon as I saw what this was going to be, I was excited. I think this set has really expanded the the prep area. I think it's something you need to worry about. So the back for more is just – I look at it this way, and I always think about Fabricate along with KO. I can purchase a dice – and put stuff into my prep area, like a Miguel O'Hara, and that's going to deal damage to my opponent next turn. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an addition to what is already a benefit. So when I see this back for more for all the characters that we'll talk about, I can use it with Blue Eyes, I can use it with Fabricate, I can, you know, all these things that put stuff in my prep area, I can gain a benefit from. It's not just when my opponent attacks. Yeah, um, and, you know, how about we kick it off with that rare Miguel O'Hara because I think he's my favorite out of all the back for more cards right now. Yeah, I would say he's he's one of the better ones. Um, he is got fast, and he says back for more deal one damage to target opponent. Um, use one re- rolled from the prep area, uh, so you're gonna get in that automatic direct damage. Um, his stats are just amazing for a character with fast four three five three and then five five. So um, his blocking ability is just phenomenal, um, and he's gonna be really really cool to use. And he's also a four cost fifth. So yeah. like, if you want to use that fabricate, like yeah, Russ was just with, saying with your um Iron Fist. Right. You it's, just... it's a little bit... <laughs> I find this character strange with the with the back from war because it he is kind of difficult to get in, in mm-hmm. the prep area. 
Not if I'm playing against Kenneth the other day where he right. had like an entire team that was based on like KOing things. I mean, he right. had Superhero Registration Act. I think you had a Stepford's Cuckoo too that where yeah. both players have to remove a character to the prep area. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I was I was KOing Miguel O'Hara left and right. That and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Deadpool's it, words were just mentioned I, to me. I <laughs> think he's really good in that sense, but it, like a straight up like attack it's a little bit yeah, different. Yeah, like, so yeah, no, yeah, you, you have you, to you, use him correctly, and I think it's really easy to do it, but it's not like, oh, I'll just attack, and then it'll go into my, my prep area. It won't really do that because yeah, I, he's got I, the fast. Thing with, the thing I see with Back from Mars, you have to pair it with something that's always going to allow you to put them into, the, into your prep area. Mm-hmm. So you want to run it with blue eyes. You want to run it with a fabricator. Chalkboard. You want to use it with chalkboard, exactly. Yeah. You want to keep using it and putting it, putting it in your prep area. Uh, that's what I do like about Back from Mars is that it opens up the board to another zone that we can interact with. Now you can combo out of it. You can, it, and it interacts with the yeah. field. It interacts with all the other, all the other parts. Yeah, of the board. It, right. And that's why I actually like him because it forces your opponent to pay attention to that prep area. Exactly. Since he, since his stats are beefy enough, if you let it through, it's, he's going to do some significant damage. Um, but if you block with him, he's probably going to clear something off your mm-hmm. board. And that that's why I love that. I think adding fast just made him that more of aggressive type of card yeah. because yeah. I, I don't see a bad, negative bad side from fielding him ever. Yeah, yeah so I, my first game, we when we drafted, I actually was able to draft this card. I was really excited. I didn't know how it would work on my team, but I played him anyway. And about turn two, I realized that I brought the wrong basic action. I think uh, Resurrection works yeah. really Do, well. I feel, yeah, I feel like Resurrection for the set is like that or Villainous Pact mm-hmm. or almost... Any sort of any sort of ramp that goes directly into the prep area. Uh, we did mention nasty plot uh, amongst ourselves the other. The yeah, other week. I, I, I was using that, and like if you get that going with Miguel O'Hara, you manipulate your bag enough where there's only you're going to be drawing two die no matter what, mm. and you just buy him, and he's in the prep area ready to go. Yeah, the the basic actions from D and I think match this set perfectly oh, yeah. because on the pot on the defensive side you also have banishment. Mm-hmm. Which, if my opponent's playing a lot of back for more, banishment's great because I'm going to move those from the prep area. So. Yeah, you're never all, yeah, also, you're just in a, yeah, exactly, yep. exactly what you said. All right, so since we're in rare land right now, how about we talk about the other rare that has back for more, which is Evil Deadpool? I know you had some pretty good success I, with this. Yeah, I actually had a lot of good success with this. Um, I was using um, the rare uh, Evil Deadpool, as we were mentioned, and it's got back for more. It says KO target opposing sidekick character die or target opposing. Deadpool character die. Um, so in the drafts and in constri- and in a limited format with within the set, you use this to. I paired this with the uh, uncommon Electra, which uh, she says she can't, she can't be blocked by non-Deadpool character dice. Your opponent can cancel this with, um, by paying one energy, um, and that's for all Electra dice. So that so that little that little ending there. Uh, I wish it wasn't there with the fact that it blocks for all of them, or it cancels it for all of them. However, um, a lot of the times that I was playing um, in the drafts the first time, I would notice that my opponent would only have one Deadpool character or maybe two at most on their whole team. So at that point, it became easy to just say, okay, well, all I have to do is buy uh, evil Deadpool, get him into my prep area, and use his back for more so that way my electrodes are unblocked. Um, and it would have been more successful had I had more than just two Electra die, but uh, but yeah, goes like, the nature of a draft. Yes, as it is. Uh, <laughs> I, but but it was still really really good, and I liked and I liked the ability. I liked how it added that other layer to the game. I actually think this could be really good on a com- more of a constructed, maybe competitive team if paired in the right way. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at running, say, Frontline, which I'm not a fan of, anything that. You know, you're getting rid of one of their characters and adding another character. So if I chalkboard him over, roll him, if they filled it a sidekick to, you know, give that one extra blocker, chump blocker, then I can, I'm going to basically add two characters myself Mm because I'm taking one of theirs away and adding an evil Deadpool. And if I can do that with more than one, it makes it that much better. And again, and the stats, a four, four, five attack. His stats and, and his cost, he's a four yeah. cost bolt. So, I mean, he's not even that far to get to. He's not even that hard to get to at that point. Um, so I, I really liked him. I had some good success with him. 
Um, the thing I I want to mention this really really quickly the about back for more I like how flavorful that is mm-hmm. because they're going to the prep area and then especially if they're getting KO'd they get KO'd and they go they're coming back for more and, they, and they've got one more ability to do um, so that that was one thing that I did like um, them to add as far as the ability just the name of it the other like, thing I like about back for more in the set that I've been working a lot with my new competitive team is X 23. So all these characters that I'm putting in the prep area that I'm gaining an ability when I roll them from the prep area, I'm also gaining when I attack because I roll and add to X 23 stats. Mm -hmm. So are there any other specific cards other than the two rares we mentioned? Like I said, there are 11 cards from the set that actually have back for more. So the one that, that I thought I would really like that I'm having a hard time with, with the timing because it's during the roll reroll step is the Wolverine uncommon. He gives target Deadpool character three plus attack. Mm -hmm. I just don't like the timing of that. I don't like that. You just can't get him and a Deadpool character to kind of line up. Yeah, well, it's the, if I have characters out there and my opponent has three or four blockers, I've got to give the three plus attack way early. I like to give a buff Mm -hmm. when my, opponent doesn't know where I'm going to give it through a basic action or yeah. a global, you know, if I have, so this, you have to do it. Yeah. At the beginning of your turn. You know, if I have a, a kid pool out there, that's already plus two and then plus one with Bob. And then I give him plus three. He's going to chump block. That. Yeah. But that's just saying, yeah, it's, it's an, it's obvious information for your opponent to readily have. Whereas you kind of like to play on the defensive. You kind of also like to react to how they're going to, mm-hmm. where, they're, right. where they block. Yeah, where you they attack you like that window after blockers mm-hmm. have been declared. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do like the ability. It's just the, the timing is a little bit of a fizzle for me. Um, there are some, as, as you say, timing. There are some cards that are that with their back for more abilities. Um, we won't get into it right now, but they create some interesting, interesting timing triggers, th- things. Yeah. That is just that so, I think yeah. we need some more time. Yeah. To play so with so them. maybe in a couple of weeks or so we'll yeah. see Doctor J show up with I, another rules forum update. I think yeah. Shikla. <laughs> I liked the Colossus one. Um, oh, in draft, I'm excited to in, try that one. In draft, I really liked it. Yeah, the common one. Uh, he says back for more. Deal one damage to all character dice on players. I liked this because it just it kills those like. Walls. Um, and it's it, it's expensive because yeah, he's six cost fist, but his stats are pretty solid. There and has some of the sweetest the, art in this. Oh <laughs> yeah, his his art for his. <laughs> Do you remember? Really oh my gosh, <laughs> Doctor J, myself, and you were playing a game, an X Men game. I can't remember what it was called. Like, oh, it was like, other WizKids Heroclix. Yeah, one. It, but wasn't Heroclix. So. It was a mm. uh, something about the school. It's kind of like Spartacus. Yeah. But we were playing that a week before the spoilers come out. <laughs> yeah. This was pretty funny. And you said, oh, why can't Colossus have a cool picture like this? And it was showed it in the game. And that was almost identical to the one that was spoiled like yeah. three, four days later. Yeah. So here's, here's a question timing because I think we'll see this combo even though I, it won't work competitively because they're, they're two six cost. But if, if I had Hulk in the field, would it trigger Hulk twice when I deal... Yeah, no, it, it all no, happens at once. So it, it yeah, I would say happen at once because um, okay. they've had similar rulings with that where mm-hmm. it damages a character and the opponent at the same time and okay. they ruled it at once. Um, one card that I haven't played with but looks, it, it's like they tailored this for Back for More is the Common Outlaw where it's a search your bag for an outlaw die and roll it. If it rolls an energy face, field at level one, otherwise add it. Rolls an energy, okay. Otherwise add it to your prep area. So it's almost like you're loading it up for... Another back. It's pretty flavorful yeah. to the to the character. <laughs> My one experience with this is Ken and I were brewing one the week this came out. We were brewing for long hours in the night, and he was playing this out lot and just couldn't get the timing to work. So, mm-hmm. um, also work, I also do I did not like that timing. Doctor J had some issues with this in the draft as well, <laughs> and it did not. It was not any oh. good anyway. So, so this is this might be a fizzle because it looks awesome on paper. Right. Yeah. Right. It's just a weird timing because <laughs> mm-hmm. you want one in the prep, you want one in the bag, and it just. It and at what point are work. you gonna? And unless I mean, it's a three cost bolt, so it's gonna be kind of hard to buy all three of them. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, yeah. All right. So, based on our. The, the other. Yep. Go ahead. Sorry. One thing that I think is also interesting um, is the Mister Sinister. 
Yeah, that's the one I would like to try. That's a that's, basically given me. You may re-roll any number of dice in your field zone, so it's a, almost a free parallax. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So if uh, I have again, this kind of comes back to that weird timing thing I was talking about. But yeah. I think we just need to play around with it, and and I think it'd be interesting to use. But I could use, you know, if I have elf thief or those things that you want to keep refilling, I can add them. Mm-hmm. To my, you don't have to, to spend that one extra energy for a parallax and exactly. like give you an extra parallax right. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so based on our two week ish experience with back for more, is, is you know is this a keyword ability that I be dig to it? Stay? I really dig it. So you're, think... you're not saying it's a heroic or an underdog? <laughs> Excuse me. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> and for the record, actually, I think underdog can be worked very, very yeah. I well. think under <laughs> I think underdog is making a comeback, so maybe yeah. heroic will make a comeback for us. <laughs> It doesn't need to be a comeback. It's never never gone away. (laughs) Yeah, it came back. It's called Team Watch now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen. (laughs) Thank you so much for, you know, having this discussion on Back for More. I always like these new keyword mechanics because it makes you think. And just to give you guys a preview, since Back for More is focusing so much on the prep area, we'll have a future segment where we'll just be talking about the prep area and ways to use and abuse it. Can't wait. Prep area is amazing. (laughs) Yep. So we will have uh, both of you guys back for a round table in a bit. All right, guys, we are back with the KO King and Kenneth to talk to you guys about something that I think is probably pretty timely considering that the holidays are here and we may get a you know, an, an influx of new players because their mom and dad saying, hey, those have superheroes on it. Hopefully Maybe we get a lot like of new players during yep. the season. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, give, so, the, give the gift of Dice Masters. Yep. So what we wanted to do is kind of give you guys a primer on teaching Dice Masters. So we're not going to go like this is the tax step stuff. We want to give you guys the tools to be like if a new player comes in, hey, I've never played this game before. Um how do I how do I play? Because I, I, I know there's when I first started and somebody asked me how to teach, I didn't know how to teach the nuances of the game but I, what, what our goal is to be able to give you guys a tool so we, we can in, you know increase the size of our community and um, have them all come in because I know all, all of us here more than once we've been sitting there playing and somebody's like hey what game are you playing and it's kind of evolved to hey sit down we'll show you how to play this game yeah we always try to get new players to play it doesn't always work but we always try to <laughs> yeah, so um, Ru- and if you guys don't know, Russ was was a former teacher, so he actually knows all the he secrets. He still is a former teacher. Yeah, yeah, he is a former teacher, so um, don't be surprised if he like assigns homework or something at the end of the segment. <laughs> um, so you know, where where do we want to kind of start for a new player? If you're sitting down with a new player, where do you want to start with teaching this game? I would look at uh, the the first kind of thing you want to ask is, is this person a gamer? You know, is this person someone with a, an exper- like a background with Magic the Gathering? They're going to have a very different starting place than someone who has played Monopoly a half dozen times yeah. in their life. Uh, you know, kind of know who you're talking to. It's hard to dive into a lot of strategy with someone who just doesn't play games. Yeah, more more of like a kitchen table gamer because that's yeah, where so, I came from. I had a little bit of trading card game background, but mostly I was playing yeah, and board I, games. And I came from Magic, so. This was a pretty easy transition for me. The hardest thing for me was the uh, stack, no stack, stack, stack. Well, stack. not even not even that because I was never like a good magic player. I just played <laughs> a lot. <clears throat> so the stack wasn't a really big deal for me. What was harder for me was the uh, the building part of it, mm-hmm. which uh, after the first time or two that I tried playing Dice Masters and I just didn't understand it because I was trying to use the, uh, I believe, uncanny instruction booklet, which. Mm. Was that's bar- that's awesome. barely a step up from the Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, uh, so I was trying to use that instruction booklet to learn, and it just wasn't working for me. It, it just wasn't clicking. And then I played uh, Marvel Legendary, which is a deck-building game. And somewhere in the like second or third time that I was shuffling the things that I had purchased into my own little deck, I was like, hey, that's kind of what you do with that dice game, but you're using your bag instead of a deck. So... You know, you the first thing you want to do when you're teaching someone is figure out uh, their their baseline. Where are they starting from? Mm-hmm. For for me, just to start the game, I would not have uh, anyone read the instruction booklet. I tried to learn this game from the instruction booklet. It yeah, didn't work. Yeah. So yeah, Doctor J was giving me this like look. I'm like, I'm not gonna lie to you, buddy. When I tried to learn the game using the Yu-Gi-Oh book, I didn't know what's going on 100 percent of the time. <laughs> No, so it, I watched the, a the video online. I just 
Googled on or uh, YouTube and watched a video. A guy walked through it, and I started to pick up. And oddly enough, something that helped me, it kind of click in my brain, is Marvel Puzzle Quest. It's a game on my phone. I play it's the three matching, but it's Marvel. And We're not sponsored by Marvel, by the way. No, but you have three characters. But if they want to. And they, you know the their year. abilities kind of work together. So if, for some reason, that... Yeah, I, I mean, because so, some of this started clicking for me because I've played previous deck builders or watched a lot. I've, I've, I researched tons of deck builders when I first discovered about them. I'm like, oh, this is different from most of the other games I've played before. So that's kind of kind of the background. So do you guys just hand them a WKO-level worthy team? And have yeah, yeah, absolutely. As much text <laughs> and as many abilities as you can get. We want as many interactions as possible. Yeah. You want at least eight globals on the, on the team? Yeah, at least, at least. And and plenty of global hate and all kinds of weird action abilities. No, you yeah, want to... I always give them my controlled by death. <laughs> right. That's pretty simple. Uh, I always try to... Um, incorporate some of the bigger, um, like keywords and abilities, you know, like you, when you're teaching the game, I mean, if, if you're talking, if you're teaching it to someone with almost no gaming experience, it's almost better to tell them to ignore the text on the card altogether Mm -hmm. for the first little while. So they understand the basics of, uh, comparing the numbers for combat, for ramping and purchasing that kind of thing. And, and for, for understanding their own curve, um, but once you start getting into the actual like nuts and bolts of the game, you want to have some of the more common uh, abilities, things like overcrush. You want to have some ramp. You want to have uh, some some basic actions. Some may, maybe throw in a, like a when fielding, when attacks effect, a few things like that when KO'd. Just some of the basic things. Nothing too complicated. I tend to go with a lot of uh, do this and it does one damage. So they understand that there's a timing thing and the effect is the damage. And then you can sort of go, okay, so, you know, Sheeta, when she attacks, deals one damage to the opponent. That is going, that, that's different. You understand the timing there. Now, if you look at uh, another one attacks effect, you don't understand the timing. It's just a different mm-hmm. uh, thing happens. So I, I kind of try to go into some of that, but it's, it's just kind of... Get the get the basics and go baby steps. Understand your audience more than anything. First thing I like to teach him is is ramp because as my first question was is how do I buy this five cost character when I'm only rolling four dice every turn? Yeah, that was the, one of the hardest things. I'm like, I what? Like, how does this work? <laughs> right. So, un- unfortunately, I usually have PXG for him to start, which I don't like getting him started on that little crack right there. I I could tell that was a struggle for you just to (laughs) even say PXG. So it's so big in the game. It, I I feel like it, that lands on most of my starter teams too. Yeah. It just, it helps them understand this idea of ramp. It also introduces the idea of global and it's, it's one of those abilities in the game until you know, it just seems kind of silly. Well, I can pay a mass to get two more yeah so i'm like only getting one more in right. the grand scheme of things yeah so that's Te- teaching to plan ahead and stuff like that right so i i go ramp and then look at you know lining up the dice yeah i i love that the first time i saw you actually show someone that that was great for me it, it just like for me the damage resolution just made sense but the more i taught people a lot of people are like i just so like how does this work but you telling them to actually line up the dice upside down so right what you know the so, defense so the, the attack lines up with the defense, defense and the defense lines yeah. up with the attack it, yeah it i struggled with it at first this is my first collectible game so all this stuff i had to learn on my own i think ken does the same thing with the dice when he's teaching someone yeah i usually do especially that helps a lot with kids so they mm-hmm. know what numbers they need to be comparing so I know some people, and I I understand I'm in the minority. I know some people like to teach with like half a team, four cards mm-hmm. and a basic action. Uh, I think it depends on the age. Like if it's a younger player, that might be good. But I like having all of them there. And if I can, like vanilla characters, I know we make fun of them at times, but mm-hmm. that that really helps them understand. Yeah. Do you do the 20 life too or the 10 life? Because I know some people, when they do that half team, they do 10 life. Uh, I do. I don't like doing that because uh, what happens is 
And I've seen it on, on some boards before of people talking about, hey, I'm just learning this game and I, I want to go to this event or whatever. But, uh, you know, do, do I use a, a regular four character team or do, do I need to build one of the bigger, like full size eight person team? Like the, the four character and what is it in the rule book? They say use three basic actions, I think. Uh, yeah. Four like characters that. each and three basic actions. Why would you teach someone something wrong? Because mm-hmm. that's that's just wrong. Yeah, and I you know? think I mean it, it's an introduction to concept. I I understand yeah. that, but I would much rather just be taught. Start with the firm foundation, so th- so yeah. that the game looks right. Yeah. So that the first time that I go to play it with someone that maybe has played before, or you know the the first time that I want to go to a tournament or something like that, I'm not blindsided by what what are you doing? You're bringing all these extra cards, you know? Yeah, and and I I think starting with ten life kind of takes away from that lesson of life as a resource because 10 life is so much different than having 20. Yeah. Yes. And, and as far as like, uh, you know, dumbing down the game, I'm, I'm a lot quicker to say, ignore all the text. We're just pretend mm-hmm. that it's all vanilla. vanilla. Just everything. Just let's get, let's get your motions down. There's, get the steps there's all no words first, yeah. on it, but there's still going to be eight cards and 20 life. So when I'm here and I'm, I'm teaching and this, the store has reached out to me and said, Hey, we have someone here. If the, if you are available, come over and teach them how to play. Um, I'll come over, I'll look at what they have and mm-hmm. I'll throw a team together for them with, with their cards so that they're taking them with them and, uh, and we'll go from there. And then I play a game with them because at least the way I learn, I could sit there and describe the whole game to them. Yeah. But unless you're there and doing it's it. It's not going to yeah. do anything. This, this is definitely one of those games that I think the more you play it, and the more you're actually doing the physical actions, it makes more sense. So uh, we'll play a, a full-on game, and then I'll help them on what they want to do that turn. Uh, you know, with the PXG or the other things, well, you might want to buy this character because of this. And that that's kind of where I go. And I, I just walk them through a game. And every game I try to get in that situation where they, they look, and they they have the twenty damage, or they have the what they think might be a kill shot, or a lot of damage, I should say. Maybe it's seventeen, maybe it's eighteen. And every learning game, I, I try to get to this situation, and then they always attack. And I say, okay, I'll take it, and then I attack and win. <laughs> but I don't win. I say, let's yeah. go back. And how would you do and, this differently right. now knowing that? Right. So get into that situation because I think that's an important aspect to learn that life is a resource, you know, not that I want to get them scared of attacking all the time, but help them understand like the difference between attack, going wide open. Yeah. The difference between going for lethal and you right. Know, just right. Don't assume yourself. your opponent's yeah. going to block. If you assume your opponent's going to block in this game, that ends up being a, a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I've actually built a couple of teams that I'm going to be writing an article about, and I've built kind of around the idea of a teacher who is experienced teaching a new player and uh, using – I've kept my parameters for the team building. I, I think there's one uncommon. Everything else is commons that are found either you know in packs or in starters. Um, they're kind of spread out. But again, the idea is an experienced player. Experienced players yeah, and, and if you yeah, usually if you're trying to play, you're going to have extras. I know we have many extras. Yeah, but so so the idea behind what what I've got is uh, I've got a the the team for the person learning is a fairly effective team with a few different mechanics. There's some direct damage. There's uh, there's a Professor X Global. There's uh, there's an overcrusher. There's there's a deadly character. Uh, there's, so there's some of the keywords and stuff. And then the teacher, their team has a lot of counters to what they're doing. So you start off with Cheetah. She's attacking. She's doing one damage, but maybe she's not getting through. And then um, you know, the the teacher brings out a clay golem. Start redirecting that. Okay, now what are you going to do? You've got to do something else. And sort of help guide them through how, uh, how to recognize a counter and how to uh, adjust your game plan from there. You know, and again, start off, if it's a brand new player, just start off ignoring all of mm-hmm. the text. But 
I, I like to kind of, as I'm introducing the, the mechanics of the game and the nuts and bolts, kind of show them counters and show them alternatives also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'd have to say teaching in general and teaching Dice Masters, totally different beast than going to a WK or something like that. So we hope that kind of this this starter team, this toolkit will be a good launching point. And if you guys have any questions about teaching, I think we'd love to hear from you guys. Just shoot us an email, doubleburst at ktdata.net, or leave it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash doubleburst. And I will make sure that these guys get in contact with you or, you know, We'll, we'll give you our insights and what has worked or what hasn't worked when yeah. we've gone out and taught players. Or, or if you've got a really good suggestion that we didn't cover here or doesn't appear in the article, uh, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to know. Maybe you've got something that's worked great for you. Uh, if you've got a lot of experience teaching young kids how to play, that can always be tricky. Mm-hmm. And I've taught my kids, and I still don't feel like I've got a great grasp on teaching kids how to play because every kid's so different. Yeah, and I mean, Russ, you can probably attribute to that is like everybody's different when they come yeah, to learn. Yeah, age. When you're teaching this game, it's important to understand age uh, and the way the brain works. Uh, sorry, I was a psychology teacher, but the way the brain <laughs> works, depending on what age they're at, the kids aren't going to understand it. That's why I really encourage my young son to play because it's going to help his brain. But... The other thing that I do when I'm teaching, and I know based on how I play, it's probably not a surprise, but I always introduce them to Blue Eyes Global, and not the sense that they need to KO things, but for them to start to connect, okay, that ability looks like it's bad because I'm KOing, but I can benefit from KOing. So there's things in the game that may not look like a great ability. See those synergies start coming up. Right, from- so just to show them the synergy is, is really the only reason, so... Yep. Yep. All right, guys. So I'll get, we'll get you guys back in a second with Dr. J and the Brown Messiah to have a nice roundtable about the fall WK and the wrap up that we've from teams we've seen so far. Okay, guys, we are back with the full crow, the Brown Messiah, Dr. J, the KO King, and Ken Pull. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? Doing great. So as as we record, there has been uh, technically two rounds of WKOs that have happened for the fall WKO. Um, I don't know if they're any more in the fall season per se. Well, it's only one um, round, but they've yeah, been, they've been they're, held yeah, two on weeks, two weeks, weeks. Yes, two weeks, and it's been a little bit different because they did release the rule change in between the two. Um, but we wanted to give you kind of a recap of what we saw in terms of teams around the WKO. So, Dia, you, you want to kick it off with the team that seemed to be making headlines everywhere? Uh, so uh, Dr. J was correct when we uh, did our first uh, WKO predictions. I know that fuels his ego more than we don't we need it to, but uh, he was right. Um, Bard still remains the king uh, for this round of WKOs. Bard was on pretty much every, almost every single uh, winning team, uh, the exception being... Um, Paul Crush... I'm killing your Paul Kushner. P- PKK. Yeah. What up, boy? Um, uh, shout out to you, man. He ran a mask ring team. Yeah. And actually, when I looked at this this list, I was like, huh, he's only like two different cards other than what I would have ran on a different on a mask ring team. Yeah, it's pretty... It's a really solid... Pretty op- Like, when you look at it, you go, oh, yeah, of course. So mm-hmm. did, he, uh, did he have, like, a good counter to the bard, or was he just lucky? Uh, he had... I think know, I think in his write up he was a little more worried about vicious struggle than yeah that, he than was Bard. he was more worried about vicious struggle. Also, it is to note that this one happened November sixth, so this was before the rule change um, for first turn. He ran uh, morphing jar, uh, canopic jar, elf thief, lesser harper, raven, um, Azeroth metron, synthos, the rare oracle. Lantern Ring, Dormammu, uh, which was the big one that kind of really won it for him, Rip Hunter, and then Scarecrow. Um, he did say that he was a little concerned about like the lack of PXG, um, which did turn his games running longer. But yeah, you can see here that this was just another, it was just a Mask Ring team. Um, you and, control yeah, and just to clarify, it was the OP Scarecrow, right? Not, yes, not, yes, not it was uh, Legion of Doom, Legion of Doom uh, Scarecrow, the one that can uh, block, or, uh, or excuse me, he just can't makes it so that sidekicks can't attack and anything with the two two attack or lower can't attack um so yeah that was the first one uh that happened there and this one was just i think it's he was uh concerned about there's this hulk bard control team that he faced in in swiss and in top uh eight that kind of gave him a little bit of trouble but he was able to hold it off the other thing was the vicious struggle as you mentioned here um and it was it was a really weird team that was vicious struggle in jinzo jinzo to kind of like hold off um you know any sort of like or to prevent any like so so yeah so so if your opponent bought 
a vicious struggle. He's going to have to pay to play. Exactly. So what would they do if someone took their Jinzo with a scarecrow and created? People don't do that in competitive teams, Russ. Yeah, Outside well, of Utah, at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not privy to the scarecrow. I don't understand. No Dude, matter so, how much you no yeah. matter how much you blast it on Facebook, people aren't yeah, gonna get yeah. the and, and so there, there, there's a reason why we renamed it the Rust Crow. <laughs> so confused. Um so that was the first round. The first round went to or that first one went to the ring team. Uh the next one was a Can I just say that I think WizKids did this on purpose. I know Everybody was upset. I feel like they interjected this on purpose in the middle so we could see it. So we, so we could see mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, it kind of kind of show those skilled players and how quickly they could adjust to it because, well, the, you know, well, they that, had less and, than a week, And right? you could see the difference in results. Statistically, they probably wanted some idea. I understand we don't have a huge ability to data collect and everything, but I think they saw that it impacted the game in a positive way. I think you can see that over by the next um, one that I'm going to mention that happened the same weekend. And this was the uh, WKO up in uh, Ottawa in Canada. Um, Ontario, rather. Same place. Uh, well, yeah. Anyways, I don't, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, yeah, we're stupid Americans that don't know geography wow. outside exactly. of our country. Canada's to the north. This was the Beholder team uh, that came out of uh, Ottawa. And this is, uh, it runs Elf Thief, uh, the common Rip this Hunter's Chalkboard. This was a lot of WKOs. Yeah, this is this was a big one that's kind of like the ant that kind of was the new kid on the answer. block. Yeah, yeah, the answer to the bard, and he's got a bigger bat than he's got a bigger loot than the guitar or the bard. Uh, but anyway, he's got Rip Hunter's chalkboard, Blue Eyes, uh, Beholder, and now this is the Beholder Master Aberration from the first D and D set. It's um, a seven cost. Yeah, he's a seven cost. So a lot of people, when you first start in playing, you're like seven cost. They're gonna get that. Um, but with the Blue Eyes, it's not too bad. And then Half Elf Bard Oracle. Professor Xavier, and then a cold gun, uh, Captain Cold's cold gun, um, the rare. And uh, this was just uh, from after reading the... basic actions. Oh, excuse me. The basic actions, yes, are very important, are um, imprisoned and... uh, Wait. Frontline. Frontline. The frontline. My least favorite card in this game. Because I didn't write it down (laughs) on my notes there, (laughs) Ken. Yeah, so like this, so the whole team basically runs around the seven cost beholder. He says, when beholder is the first one assigned to attack, you may use the abilities all four basic actions without any bursts. Um, so you would be able to imprison their whole field um, if there's anything yeah, so on the field. They have, at that so they point. have uh, sidekicks <laughs> gone, and then you just use the front line and attack with beholder and as many sidekicks as you have, and it's game by turn three. Yeah, on turn one. They buy Elf Thief. Two, turn two, they chalkboard Beholder. So they chalkboard Elf Thief, and then chalkboard Beholder. Turn three, they attack. Yeah, it is also important to note that um, as we were talking about, as I said, this was happening before the rule change, so they were able to do it. It didn't matter where they went first or second. I see now an adjustment onto this is like with the rule team is they have, in order for this to get that turn They're still three, pretty consistent turn yeah. three or four. Oh, doesn't really? matter if they go first or second. Oh. Yep. Well, I just was noticing that it was before the rule change. Yeah. So. So. Um, and then and then then we can move on to like the second. So with the rule change with the beholder, actually. Okay. I thought about this the other day, and the wording has always really confused me. And you can't do this with two beholders. So no, if I attack cannot. with two beholders, it doesn't matter. Only because one one, only it. one is first. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I know we've yeah, all the always wording. struggled with that stupid wording. Mm-hmm. Like, does that change the timing? But you, it's but first, do you really need more than one beholder? <laughs> first just means is another way for them to say only once. Like yeah, with Joe like Costa, a, I yeah. mean mm-hmm. they it's use like a, they use first as replacement for once per turn. Yep. All right. So. Um, and then there. there was let's see here. I have to double check the date on this, but um, the next one here uh, was the Missouri uh, WKO. Um, this was this was after the rule change. Um, the person who did the write-up on this one is a... I can't pronounce the name. I'm going to butcher it. I think it's Meme K... Where is it? Oh, yeah. Meme K 2K. Um, and uh, this was found on the reserve pool. Uh, she ran a... A, a bar t- a bar team as well, but the end of, winner ended up being the Canadian modification to the Canadian Nats team um, with his own personal changes, uh, which was the Constantine Hellblazer, Elf Thief, Half Elf Bard, Dwarf Wizard, Clay Golem, Parallax, Mister Fantastic, and Professor Xavier. Um, so this was again 
really similar to the Canadian national team that won last year um, at their WKO um, with some changes there. I know uh, on that one you ran Kryptonite instead of uh, one of these other ones here. Um, I believe it was the it was the cold gun, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so again, like I said, just more, more, more bard. Um, yep, and we've seen cold gun kind of make its mark a little bit because mm-hmm. you've mentioned that on a couple of these teams. The issue with bardus is it's just on a lot of these teams, it's a secondary win condition. It's just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I'll it's, throw it on. Well, there yeah, we'll, we'll win more because it used ring used to be that secondary right. win condition that they replaced it with bard. And then, so, like, do you guys know anybody who went to a WKL? Yeah. A, yeah. Is there I, somebody here who I don't know. went if, to a WKL? Yeah. I went. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. you're the one who went. <laughs> uh, so, Tell so, us about it. Yeah, yeah, so, Dr. J, you went to the Greeley, Colorado WKL. That's right. I carpooled over there with uh, Steve the Sage, with our buddy Ben, <coughs> and with Mike Plum, the uh, national runner-up. Um, it was a really fun uh, it was a really fun road trip. Um, I got to get to know Mike a little bit better, and he's just a, a great guy and has a ton of fun ideas um, with the game. It was a really interesting sort of WKO because we had four of us from Utah. We had about six people from Colorado itself, and then we had three people that came from Nebraska. And so we got a, a really good mix of uh, different people. There were two Bard teams there, Mike who won the whole thing, and then the guy that he played against, the runner-up at that WKO, both had bards. Other than that, um, I don't think anyone... Maybe there was one other person that brought a bard. I never played him, though. Um, I never played any bard teams the entire time I was there. And the entire time I was there, I didn't play a single team with Professor X on it either. It was just such a weird thing it was it was not what i expected going into a competitive mm-hmm. event and did you get into top eight or top I, four? I got into top eight yeah i had my uh, killer frost team which is just so much fun i ended up losing to the same guy twice once before the cut to top eight and then again in the cut to top eight um he was running a sidekick team with gobby that gobby and falcon that makes all the sidekicks unblockable and i didn't really have any good answers to it mostly because he was using a foot ninja and it's villains and Killer Frost doesn't work on villains, um, so but yeah, he beat me there. And but it was it was such an interesting thing. I I I go back to what we said before, how like a lot of these cards from Green Arrow Flash weren't going to make it in the first round of WKO, um, but now that the second round has kind of started, you're seeing more of them. There were a lot of interesting, fun combos there. You saw the Cold Gun show up a lot. I mean, I, I think three of us from Utah, maybe all of us brought the rare cold gun mm-hmm. and played it. And a lot of people were like, oh, whoa, that's so good. You're going to see the, that cold gun on teams from now on. There was somebody who was running a cold gun and a dwarf wizard and a Constantine. And Ooh. I was like, triple blanking. Or it was a prismatic spray. I was like, you don't need that much blanking, right? You could take, a, take one, maybe two as a backup. Um, but people are really feeling out these new sets and, and putting them into their teams the next round of WKOs. I think it's going to be completely different. This uh, Beholder team that was just created, I think there's going to be counters to it. There's going to be mm-hmm. – it's going to make the game more diverse, yeah. I think. So so I have to ask you before Russ does is did you play anybody who was using the Rust Crow, the Rare Crow? No. I didn't, so and I was sad. surprised. Um, people really don't realize how amazing yeah. it is. There, there was several – times when i was well, playing I was like, like i wish i had a scarecrow god i wish i had a scarecrow <laughs> right now i could have taken that guy's foot ninja and cleared his field i could have taken this yeah. or that yeah. yeah so if you guys want to hear about how effective the scarecrow is we did a whole segment on it as one of our hidden gems in one of our early episodes that you guys may want to check out for you the- or you could just listen to any episode of the double first <laughs> podcast <laughs> and hear all about it i feel like i want to do a video sometime to show people how good you could yeah. just, you know, play in a competitive event and do really well with him. Then people would start yeah. playing it. I've done that a yeah. few times. All right. yeah, he so, has done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he's done that many times. So now that we've kind of seen this first round of WKS, I know Utah, we're getting ours in spring sometime. Um, so February. Yeah, you guys should come to Utah. We'd it's love to. It's the winter. It's yeah. February. Yep. But just come to Utah to hang out with us. Plus, we're going to blow your mind with our meta. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so you, we've kind of seen the trends. We've seen Bard. We've seen, um, you know, Frontline. We've seen and Mask. Those seem to be kind of the three big kind of ideas 
focused around teams. A little bit of variation from here to here, but fairly the same wind conditions out of them. How do you how do, do you think Deadpool is going to change any of these teams? I tell you, I'm already working with Deadpool, and I have yeah, a pretty fun team that I'm going to keep tuning up for the next two months. Um, X23 is brutal, especially the way I play, where I load up the prep zones for both me and my opponent. One of the things I see out of Deadpool is the is the Medusa Black Con- or uh, Black Bolt combo. Oh my gosh, um, Black, with the rare Bolt Black Bolt is disgusting. I, yeah. I really, I really, really like that, and I like that as an optional or different way to like get blockers out of the way, so you can just swing in for lethal. I'm curious to see if the super rare multiple man has an impact mm-hmm. or not. I think I'm going to put the common Miguel O'Hara on my team for more bag stuffing and just good stats. There were a few bag stuffing out of the... the yeah, there were a few in that set. Um, that one, I think, is the best one out of the set. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, front line with the um, Black Bolt combo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that could be rough. That, that Black Bolt, Medusa, or anything with deadly combo... I know a lot of people look at that and think about a kill shot. So what you would do is you would have Medusa out there. You would fill Black Bolt, which gives... Medusa has deadly. Yeah, Medusa has deadly. So everybody has to block her. But that is a full-on board clear with one character because they all have to block her, and she has deadly. So it's ridiculous. You could always give deadly to super rare Hulk and then use the Black Bolt on him so it knocks out their entire field, and then your Hulk, and then they all go to the I told pile. you about that dream I had with the Swarm <laughs> characters and Super Hulk. I, I promise you guys, if you come to Utah for the WKO, you will not see Super Rare Hulk on any of your teams. But I, I think that paired with, like, a front line, I think could be very effective. But I do, playing against that uh, Black Bolt, if you can, it's just a, you can board clear everything with mm-hmm. one character it's pretty crazy you can even do it if you i mean sometimes you don't even have to run medusa you can just run the uncommon free chimichangas and right. give a sidekick deadly yeah right. but medusa is so much more reliable i i would mm-hmm. i would agree with you but yeah. you know so i do want to try to <laughs> clear a whole board with a sidekick though. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be so cool that is one manly sidekick right. he should be getting his own this is a one one attack and i'm taking all eight of your characters not a manly person he's a suicide bomber is what he is. <laughs> so so i got, i have to ask you guys this because this is a question that i've kind of been thinking about a little bit do you think especially since this deadpool set had so many cards that were damaged both opponents do you potentially see a one-sided vicious struggle team coming out and arising from it is, is that a possibility well i take out the global yeah take out the because i mean it's that global that causes uh, it to be consistent i could definitely see it in a non-competitive setting i could see people playing around with it i i don't see why someone would uh sacrifice the speed because you're just not going to have the, the global speed. Mm-hmm. So speed's that's, probably still going to yeah. be king. Yeah, in that's what round. I struggle with with this yeah. game and a competitive. And I know we all want to win, so it makes sense that it's fast. But the three-turn kills, to me, isn't a, a very fun game. You know, I've I've actually experimented, and with a lot of globals, you can, with new X23, you can get 14 on turn two. So I don't think that turn two kill is there yet. But Something that I was, I was curious and wanted to ask Diego was uh, how many vicious struggle teams won? Yeah, WKOs. Did any? And I there weren't any that when I was doing my research, I didn't find any vicious struggle teams that actually just, won the whole game. And just about everything that I read on like any of the write ups that I read, everyone was surprised at either the complete or near complete lack of vicious struggle. And I at, think at each WKO, I think this was something that I I'd, I'd been thinking about and had kind of predicted was because of its unreliability. People oh, yeah. stop playing it, mm-hmm. and I think you're going to see less and less of it in the yeah, future. Yeah, especially with the rule change, too, because you got to get, like, perfect rolls for yeah. it to function well, if you're going Well, through. I think yeah. it was one of those that some people came up with. It was discovered. I think a lot of people might have discovered it at the same time. You bring it, your opponent doesn't know what you're doing, and it works. But mm-hmm. if you bring it to... Well, once everybody kind of right. knows how to play the mini game, yeah. it's... You, Once you know, people understand yeah. that the way to beat vicious struggle is by buying up the vicious struggles it, and pl- you're playing your win condition against you, yeah, you know, mi- mini game is exactly like a perfect description of playing against that team because it does feel like 
like a side of yeah, it. Yeah, because like, you just you throw everything else. Like, you like, test your might in between the more real Mortal Kombat <laughs> fights. It's like the little, or like in Street Fighter, we have to beat up on the car in between the fights. That's what playing someone with vicious struggle is. Yeah. For me, and I, this will probably make Ken pull happy, is I think that this set has the most meta cards in it. And it hasn't been tested enough, but I just see so many things that are going to come into competitive play. I noticed I, that a lot of the rares are also something that you can just use, not like if you're it, just in a draft, it's a rare draft, and you can win just off of those drafts. Right. And to, to back to your point is that a lot of those rares are going to be amazing in a constructed environment, in a competitive environment, where they all do amazing, like most all of them do I think super all, awesome. I think the super rares are rarity. great. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's oh, good stuff yeah, at every no, rarity. I'm not doubting that. Like, I, just, I, I don't feel like the, the rares... I do feel like they, uh, where rares have not always been particularly important in a lot of sets, mm-hmm. they actually kind of are in this one, which is cool, but I don't feel like you need to get every rare to have every competitive card. Yeah, I, think, I think they've got a, have all the cards. I think they've got you a really good spread. I Kevin's think they've like got a really good spread of power. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what Lockjaw does in the meta. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. so yeah. excited I think, for that. I think both, oh, both he's the common, slot on my team. The common and the rare, both. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I the common. We now things. have this window. I can lock up my opponent's characters for a turn. Same thing right. with Stepford Cuckoos. Right. So there's a lot of just great cards. Different. Different abilities. I think all the super rares have their place. I'm on Except this Deadpool. very small, <laughs> small minority that is saying that I think multiple man's somewhat of a fizzle. It doesn't excite me unless you're running a ring mask team. I think it's great. Um, X23 is can be ginormous. And then uh, I think Lady Deadpool. I think Modoc Common is. I think Modoc Common, Common is the yeah, he's killer. he's the he's the control card out of this yeah. set. Oh my gosh, for sure. And it didn't sound good, but then you start thinking about all the times you spin, all the times you want to roll. It just it can be very. Uh, and those defense stats are just yeah. awesome. Yeah, let's l- try to get them out of the field by yeah, attacking. Exactly, it's not gonna happen, man. So. You know, a lot of people bring up the fact that the, that a Hulk is really hard to deal with and stuff like that, and. And yeah, you you shake your head here now, but uh, with the moat back to the Modoc though is if you use their po- if they're bringing polymorph or even if you have it you can spin it all the way up. You have that Modoc. They can't spin that down unless they want to spend the extra energy to spin him down so we can get to his burst side. Yeah, sometimes but, but, but wait, sometimes on. that one damage. I want them to use Hulk. Well, <laughs> you want them to use Hulk. We just talked about it. no one else uses Scarecrow. Nobody else uses Scarecrow. But yeah, no, I mean. But yeah, Modoc I think is the the card. When I saw it, I was like, "This this will kill Parallax. This will be the end of juggling thieves as we know it." I I could see uh, Common Lockjaw being throwing a real wrench in the gears of just about every Bard team out there. Yeah, and and, and like I think Lockjaw teaches such a great skill of knowing what your opponent has in their bag. Dude, since like, I started playing with Killer Frost, <laughs> I know every single thing that's in my opponent's bag. I never paid attention before, but you yeah. play with a card like this and you have to keep track of that, especially my team where I've got like three cards. I have to keep track mm-hmm. of crap. I'm like Constantine, the Riddler and, and uh Lissa Drac. It's like, you have to know what's where it's such a good skill to have when you're playing the game. So one combo I've been playing with just within the last couple sets is Lockjaw common. So I name something, take everything takes two damage. Uh, Black Adam, which they take one damage if they don't put it back on the card. And then my attack is X-23, and all those dice that were KO'd are sitting there for me to roll their energy. And if they don't put the character back on the card, they're taking one damage, plus they're giving me plus two attack or plus four attack. That just sounds mean. Yeah. <laughs> yet, 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 again, yet again, the KO King, and I think Kenneth was the first one to say it, that Russ seems to play this game backwards. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Have the least number of characters in the field, have the least am- amount of life at the end of the game. Making your opponents yeah. unbuy stuff and now making stuff in the prep area like matter. And then he wins. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm kind of excited for this next round of WKOs because I think we're starting to see a, almost almost a renaissance where we're going to see a little more variety in terms of teams. I hope so. I hope, down. I hope people who are listening right now w- want to see a, a healthy change. And, you know, go back through your old, through your collection. Go back at what you have and look at what 
what's there because there's with the new set now like there's a new set there's new things i'm sure it's we just, will be talking about what we need to look back at once yeah. we've had <laughs> dead once we've played with deadpool a little bit more i i also think that what we're seeing with this round of wkos is a little bit of a a protest against the meta the way that it used to be you know it was very stale kind of one or two teams and now people are saying I'm, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to bring Professor X. Yeah, I'm not going to bring this or that. There's a lot really of people fun. who are who are tired of really just of tired are tired of losing to the same thing uh, every every week or every month or however often they play in an unlimited event. And so it does seem that there was a lot of people saying, "I'm not going to bring Bard." which kind of paved the way for the few people who did to win. But but at the same uh, there's time, there's a lot yeah. less people bringing it there. There's little or no vicious struggle, which was huge. Uh, over Just the summer, a couple months ago. Worlds. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and it like the, the PDC events. So there's, there is definitely a lot of people who are, uh, trying to stray away from the old guard as it were. Yeah. My, uh, my team that I took to, the Colorado WKO had a flex spot on it, and I was up until the day of trying to figure out what to put in that spot. And I told myself I could put a bard here and I could probably do really well. And I would have, I would have probably gone top four, top two, maybe um, because that's how good the bard would have made my team. But I was like, I'm, I don't want to, you know, I, if I make top eight with this team, I'm happy with that. I'll take my cool shiny foil prizes for making top eight and then I'll be happy. You know, and that's, I think, the attitude that a lot of people are taking. They're like, I don't need first. I don't need second. I just want to play a fun, competitive game. Yeah, I would personally encourage people to try something new. I mean, try mm-hmm. something that hits hard. You know, yeah. the, the Beholder team with Frontline and Imprisoned, uh, it's it's kind of dirty and it's super, super effective. And, uh, yeah, and it's, it's it's something that can absolutely win. It It's definitely a winner. Yeah. Uh, I'd I'd hate to see that be the only thing in the meta yeah, come but, February when we play. Yeah, uh, you know, keep in mind that all these prizes, like it's great to win, it's awesome, but all the prizes are things that you can get. Mm-hmm. They're all commons and basic actions. You know, because like, everybody wants that slander. It's, it slander. it's a bunch of stuff that is really really easy to get. You're not losing any mechanics by bringing something new that. And and you never know. I mean, yeah. that's that's the problem with uh, the meta got a little bit stale over the summer to where everyone felt that they had to bring Bard to win, which meant that everyone had to bring Bard to win. Yeah. Because if you're if you're paralyzed by uh, what everyone else is bringing, it it pigeonholes yourself. Yeah, and, you and know, I'd if like if and if you don't experiment, you never know what might beat something. Yeah, I'd like to remind people too. Prior to this year. The teams that have won Worlds and Nationals have been teams that have come out of left field. Let's not forget how weird it was to bring a Solomon Grundy on your team, but then when you saw how effective it was, it just dominated. Some of those teams are yeah. way cool and just really, really awesome to look at and even to play, and, and of course to play. Like, and, that's, and that's the kind of environment that I want in competitive. I want kind of out of left field. Things. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on something that I feel is completely out of left field. I have no idea if it'll be competitive, but I'm hoping that I can feel good enough about it to, to bring it to a WKO. And if I get stomped, so be it. I brought something fun and different, and I can just about guarantee that anyone who sits across from me is going to be confused. <laughs> and that's fun. And also, one of the great things about experimenting with stuff like this is at some point the meta is going to change, and you're going to have... A much better grasp on what all the different cards do. Yeah. You're not going to have a knowledge of 20, 30 cards. You're going to have a knowledge of 100, 200 cards and you'll say, oh, now that this is in the meta, I remember that card and I'm going to put that on my team and it could totally dominate. So experiment so that you understand what else is in the game. Mm-hmm. I enjoy playing things a little different. Yep. So guys, I, I always love having your, you know, having you guys around having discussions about this kind of things. Um, and so we want to hear about your guys' experience at, the, at these WKOs. Shoot us an email. Tell us how well you did or how, we, you know, if you didn't make a WKO, what you, what you would have done if you have gone there. Um, you can always shoot, email us, doubleburst at ktdata.net or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash doubleburst. Or, you know, hey, if you're coming to Utah, let us know and, you know, we'll, we'll hang out. 
Yeah, let us know what you're bringing so we can build against it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we want to win too. And, and to be clear, as much as I, I promote uh, being creative and trying new things and maybe accepting that you might lose with it, uh, no one's going to disparage you for winning. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they might out of jealousy, but if you if you play to win and if that's what you want to do, then you know, no one no one can really fault you for that. Yep. But we absolutely encourage creativity. Yep. You guys be you. All right, guys. Um, we're getting kicked out of here. So yeah, time <laughs> like, to go. We'll talk to you all later. And that's it for this episode of the Double Burst Podcast. We would love to hear from you guys. How do you feel about Back From More? Or do you have any tips for teaching Dice Masters to new players? Shoot us an email, doubleburst at ktdata.net, or leave it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash doubleburst. Of course, check out doubleburst.com for past episodes, places to subscribe to the show, and really, really cool articles. There's a cool life gain one that just got published. You can find that at doubleburst.com. And... Big thanks to Game Haven Sandy for giving us a place to record. If you live in Utah, please come out to Game Haven Sandy's Food Drive tournament we'll hiring next week. All of the money and the food will be donated to the Utah Food Bank, which is an awesome cause. And if you can't, check them out at yourgamehaven.com. Of course, big thanks to all of you guys for listening. Everybody on the team appreciates it. And until next time, my friends, may your dice rolls be ever in your favor. Mm-hmm.